electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Apple facing headwinds from a tight iPhone market and competition with China. Walter Isaacson. This will get even stronger in the age of artificial intelligence, which is the big race that's about to happen. And China's technology and America's technology are dependent on data. On the politics abroad. Xi Jinping has become more and more confrontational and nationalistic. And on campuses at home. You don't want to miss this. And a difficult conversation with Eyal Waldman, a tech entrepreneur who lost his daughter in the Israel-Hamas war. I'm trying to keep myself busy talking to you guys and other people trying to do the right thing for Israel, also for the Palestinians and for the world. It's Tuesday, October 24th, 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin, and here we go. Apple's exposure to China in the spotlight once again this week. Several e-commerce platforms are offering discounts on the iPhone 15, which raises some questions about demand. In addition, iPhone assembler Foxconn is reportedly facing a tax investigation. Investors are now waiting for commentary from the companies on, the, on its next uh, earnings call, which comes next week. Ahead of that, we want to bring in Walter Isaacson. He's the biographer of Apple co-founder Steve Jobs and also Tesla CEO Elon Musk. Walter, of course, also a CNBC contributor. And Walter, let's get to it. Let's talk about demand issues first. Is, is this a concern? What do you think? Well, absolutely, especially since China seems to be cracking down a bit on the use of iPhones. Even uh, people who are officials in China are not supposed to use iPhones. And I think this is part of a broader problem, which is why Tim Cook has gone to China, I think, twice now in recent uh, in the recent months, because uh, we are somehow or another barreling down a road of trying to disengage with China economically, which is not easy to do. And Apple will be the one most hurt. You got both Luxshare. He visited the Luxshare factory. That does everything from the earbuds to the watch. And you have Foxconn, the longtime manufacturer there. Most companies are trying to decrease their dependence on China. But Apple will find it. Uh, that's the hardest. It'll be the hardest for Apple to do that. Tim, Tim, Tim Cook and Elon Musk have both been um, the examples that people give all the time about people who have been able to walk that that tight wire, that, that they can mm -hmm. stay. Yes, we're still American companies, but we are international and we're here in China front and center. And they've been able to do a really good job. You think that this is the beginning of the end of that that ability? Well, if uh, our entire policy in the United States is to barrel down that road, it's going to be bad, I think. But you saw Gina Raimondo, the Commerce Secretary, have meetings with Chinese counterparts. And I think we're going to have to try to strike some equilibrium between total disengagement, which in my mind is not going to work, uh, and total dependence, which we've been a little bit too dependent on them. Elon Musk goes to China because, you know, there's a huge Tesla factory in Shanghai. 
And uh, the biggest competitor for Tesla worldwide, especially when Tesla starts making its global inexpensive car, will be the Chinese manufacturer BYD of electric vehicles. But you think we're barreling down that road by pushing back? I mean, the United States to this point has kind of agreed to take a, a lesser role, has agreed to say, we'll play by these rules, you can play by other rules. You think by the, what we've done to this point that that's been too much, Walter? I think the rhetoric has been kicked up in the past year, as you know, especially on both sides of the aisle in Congress. And so a lot of corporate leaders are saying, how can we minimize our exposure in China? And I think that we're going to have to learn to compete. It would be nice if we could do more manufacturing here. I mean, that's one of the things about Apple is that a very little of Apple uh, products are manufactured in the United States uh, for obvious reasons, you know, when you look at costs. But in the end, it's going to be better to either onshore jobs or uh, have jobs in countries that are closer to the United States. But that's going to take five years or so, especially when it comes to microchips or Foxconn or LuxShare that are doing the Apple products. I think Foxconn has been a big part of the issue, too, though. I think people thought, OK, that because of the Foxconn jobs in China, that that would provide some insulation to Apple in particular. Um, but this week, there's this new news that the Foxconn founder has, has said he's going to be running for president of, of Taiwan. And he said that he's not going to bow to Beijing. That has obviously kicked off some new investigations. And that raises some pretty big right. questions, too. Right. And if you look for the real cause or the real fault here, I think it's a change in the regime in China, the change of the government in China. Xi Jinping has become more and more confrontational and nationalistic. Uh, and so uh, I so intimated that maybe it was U.S. policies to blame. To me, it's much more the Chinese policies to blame, especially Xi Jinping becoming more nationalistic. Walter, to that point, though, uh, right now, do you think that we should be more concerned or, or if you were an Elon Musk or a Tim Cook, you should be more concerned about policy changing in China or policy changing in the U.S., which is to say <laughs> that there's increasingly a view uh, around this idea of a reverse CFIUS, for example, in terms of uh, looking at investments in, in made not in the U.S., but made in places like China, and whether the U.S. government effectively will at some point either block, stop, or slow those investments. Well, yeah, yeah as usual, yes, a great question. And a reverse CFIUS would be a really ratcheting things up. In other words, we can't, you know, stopping investments that we can do overseas. Um, I think that most companies know how to compete and cooperate at the same time. Uh, you can watch even Apple and to pick Musk and um, uh, 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 Tim Cook. You can watch uh, Apple co cooperate with uh, Musk companies, especially Tesla, but also at times having to compete with them. This will get even stronger in the age of artificial intelligence, which is the big race that's about to happen. And China's technology and America's technology are dependent on data. And that's what a lot of these investment rules are going to be. Who gets to suck up all the data, whether it's data from self-driving cars or data from phones? Hey, Walter, um, while we have you here, you mentioned Elon Musk a couple of times. Former Maryland Governor Larry Hogan resigned from two Harvard fellowships uh, recently over the response to a student letter blaming Israel for, for the uh, Hamas uh, attack. So here we are again. The, the uh, 
the difference between free speech and hate speech and, and what constitutes each. And, and you got any hard, fast rules for how we're supposed to... You know, if we had hard and fast rules, we wouldn't keep stumbling into these uh, problems and we decide we're going to uh, censor or try to suppress types of speech. I think that, uh, you know, one of the problems is students are going to be students and you have uh, statements issued by students. We should all say, all right, let's let's not make a, a mountain out of this one. Uh, I do think that the hard and fast rule that you have to s say at some point is when you're really threatening people and making it uh, dangerous for them, that's just not protected by law. And we have to have as much free speech as possible protected by law. What if you're actually siding with terrorists and, and being outspoken proponents of, of terrorists and a terrorist attack? That's just, should, should they not be hired? Should, should Bill Ackman get a list of, of people that, that were participating and, and make sure they don't get hired anywhere? Or, or it's, that's, there well, are no hard fast you, rules. Uh, you and I can easily say, you know, you never should side with terrorists. And that terrorist attack by Hamas was one of the worst in our lifetimes. Um, you get back, though, to flipping the script on cancel culture. It used to be the right was all up in arms about cancel culture. Now <laughs> we got it going the other way. I think maybe, you know, I'm always optimistic, maybe people seeing that the sh uh, shoe on both feet will make both sides realize you got to be reasonable on these things, but we can't automatically knee-jerk into pure cancel culture. I don't know. There's no reasonable about this, I don't think. You, hey, Walter, I know we got to run, but as somebody who led, uh, for example, the Aspen Institute as a leader who had to raise money in part, and that was part of the role, do you imagine that the presidents of these universities, given the pressure from the donors, uh, can maintain their jobs long term? Well, I think a couple of those jobs are in trouble. You know, the trustees at a couple of those universities, not at Harvard, I don't think, but I think Penn's going through a lot of turmoil. You know, we're lucky here at Tulane. It, it's a little bit less uh, of a hair on fire atmosphere. People are appalled by what Hamas did in its uh, terrorist attack. And I think you're going to see leadership at universities, at corporations have to navigate it. And this is just a great test of can you express moral principles, but also allow free speech. And I guess it's a learning experience for each of our students here. Walter, thank you. Walter Isaacson. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. Netflix putting together a dream team for streaming. The Wall Street Journal now reporting that LeBron James, Hayden Manning, and the Obamas are going to be teaming up to create a new series for the streaming giant focused on the lives of NBA players, the backing from the Obamas production company. That'll be an interesting one to watch. Higher Ground. Saw Rustin. Yep. When it premiered at Telluride. There for the premiere. Excellent. Excellent. That's why I got to hand it to him. Great, great movie. Coleman Domingo. Remember that name? I think he'll get a... He might get a nomination, I think, for, I got to check with my son. But with uh, <laughs> the expert. Yeah, the expert. Up next on Squawk Pod, on the ground in the Israel-Hamas war, tech entrepreneur Al Waldman grieving for his daughter and calling for a two-state solution for peace. The phone dialed emergency numbers was my ex-wife and me, and that's how I got a GPS location of where they were probably killed, murdered. That painful conversation is right after this. 
What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Welcome back to Squawk Pod from CNBC. The Israel-Hamas war is now on day 18. At least 5,500 people, soldiers and civilians have been killed so far in the conflict and at least 16,000 more people have been injured in both Gaza and Israel. As we've reported, the situation remains in flux. It's hard to know those tolls with any specificity. But what we do know is the trauma being lived in the region by Palestinians and by Israelis. This next conversation is a difficult one with a grieving father seeking a safer future. Andrew takes it from here. Our next guest is uh, Ayol Waldman. He is the co-founder of the Israeli chip designer, uh, Melanox Technologies uh, in 1999, that's when he founded it, and for many years hired Israeli and Palestinian tech workers. NVIDIA bought his company a few years ago for about $7 billion, and earlier this month, tragedy struck his family. His daughter, Danielle, and his daughter's boyfriend, Noam, were killed when Hamas terrorists attacked the tribe of Nova, which was that music festival in Israel. He later met with President Biden when uh, the president visited Israel, and he joins us now uh, this morning. Al Waldman is the chairman uh, of uh, the Waldo Holdings and, again, the co-founder of Mellanox Technologies. I, I can't even begin uh, to know how to, how to have this conversation. I, I, I am so sorry for your loss. Um, Thank and, you. And I'm hoping you can just help our audience and the public understand the emotions of it uh, for you. And, the, and, and then also we can expand that conversation to think about more broadly uh, what should happen in this a moment in the Middle East, but um, why don't we start with how you how you how you found out about this, how you how you learned about it, and and, and what I, I can't even begin uh, how you feel. Yeah, so so um, yeah, I I found about I was in Indonesia on uh, vacation and completely isolated island, and then my son guy called me said uh, Daniel Dandush is missing and there's engagements down in the south. She was in party. I found out she's missing, so I got on a plane, and then uh, they enabled me to land here. Although they closed already on Sunday, uh, the skies for uh, certain flights, but I was able to land here on Sunday night. And then Monday morning, I uh, took uh, my my car and my jeep and uh, joined General Israel Ziv and went looking for her. When we got in there, there was an engagement with a terrorist of uh, seven, a unit of seven that split into three and. There was a significant engagement. Uh, while we were there, there was still the territory was uh, not clean, and there were still uh, terrorists in the territory. We screwed up our Israel Defense Forces, our intelligence, our defense forces. 
didn't do what they should have done and there were a lot of mistakes what happened is that uh, on saturday about 1500 terrorists have penetrated israel about 20 villages and this uh, music festival that was there for peace love and uh friendship and and freedom and um they have conquered the south part of the Gaza Strip, the Gaza Strip, around Gaza Strip uh, villages of Israel. They came in and they invited 2,000 uh, citizens to come and slaughter, rape, behead, burn, did awful things to people that didn't do nothing. Um, I started hearing about this. So when I went south to look for Daniel, I was already ready for some of those uh, awful things that have been done. We've uh, took a jeep and three officers, army jeep, and we found located the car that was full of bullets from the back of about three Kalachnikov. We saw a trail of three Kalachnikov shells that uh, showed them in the back. Then we saw a Toyota SUV with uh, three uh, Palestinian bodies inside. And then in front of them, south of the car, we saw a, a motorcycle, which we also accepted was part of the attack of uh, Danielle and her friend's uh, car. And I, uh, I understand that one of the ways you, you found her and tracked her was her, her Apple Watch? It was actually her Apple phone. You know, they have an SOS emergency call when you do a crash. So the phone has identified that they went through a crash, which they did. So what we found is the car started driving on the right side, but then uh, Noam, who was the driver, the car crashed into the sideways of the road. It was a small road, and that's where we found. So the phone dialed emergency numbers. It was my ex-wife and me, and that's how I got a GPS location of where they were probably killed, murdered. I know this is so raw, um, and and I, I have to imagine so emotional for you. How do you think about even the broader context of this moment? I know you met with, with President Biden I think there's a lot of people watching this morning, uh, business leaders, policy makers who are watching you right now, who are trying to think through what the right next steps are uh, in this moment and, and a, a, a raging, unfortunate debate about what the right answers are. So there is difference between the short and the long term. For the short term, we must destroy Hamas. We must destroy Islamic Jihad, the same as you have done to ISIS. Those organizations are evil organizations, they're fighting the free world, and they should not exist anymore. Actually, the citizens of Gaza should help us, should thank us that we're freeing the citizens of Gaza from Hamas, that has used them. If you remember, Hamas has thrown PLO Palestinians from roofs. Hamas has killed Gaza citizens that did not support them. Hamas is using Gaza citizens as human shields. So we're now freeing Gaza citizens from Hamas. These operations are defense operation. This is not an offensive operations. Israel, we do not want to hurt any citizens. We do not want to hurt innocent people. We're building humanitarian corridors where they can get south of Gaza City. And we're opening them for hours. I have three friends that are F-16 fighter pilots. We're opening those corridors. Hamas is bombing those corridors. But it's been now over 11 days that they could have gone south, according to the instructions that the IDF has given them. And from now on, we're going to destroy anyone, Hamas, Jihad Islamic, and anyone associated with them that is left in Gaza City. The Israel forces, after sure that it is 
blew up or it's free of citizen or innocent people, we flatten the territory. We are not yet going down underground because we're looking for hostages. Our number one priority is bring back 210 hostages, which are babies, children, women, elder people, and men that have been taking hostages into Gaza. By the way, some of the Gaza citizens are holding citizens. It's not just the terrorists. So this is our first for the IDF, and then to destroy Hamas and Jihad Islam. We need to remember that we're protecting the free world, because if we don't do this now, those guys will reach Europe, will reach the US. And you see what happened in Belgium. You see what happened in France. You see what happened in Sweden, in Britain. The extreme, we're not against Islam. We're not against Muslims. And although, but, but help us with this, though, because I think that there's an increasing perception around the world uh, that innocent civilians in Palestine are, are being killed in the process and, and how to think about that and how to do this um, and, and separate Hamas uh, from those that are innocent um, and, and how you can do that in a, a strategic and surgical way and can it be done? And if it can't be done, how, how the public is supposed to think about that? So first, let's remember that 2,000 citizens, Gaza citizens, came, penetrated Israel, killed, butchered, raped, burned Israeli citizens that have done nothing. So in addition to the 1,500 terrorists, there were more than 2,000 civilians, Gazan civilians that came in and did this horrible things. And I think Gaza civilians still have hostages. So let's not forget this. That's number one. Number two, we really are trying to do everything we can not to hurt civilians. We're trying not to hurt and we're helping uh, innocent people. We're giving them humanitarian corridors for hours to go south, to go to the water that we've provided them, to go to safe places, not stay where Hamas and Islamic Jihad are. So we really are doing a lot of effort to protect the citizens of Gaza. We want to help them get free of Hamas. I want to talk about the long term for a second. In the long term, we need to stop killing each other. We've been doing this for over 75 years, and I believe we can strive for peace. I've done a lot of, I've employed, as you said, Palestinian employees, both in the Palestinian Authority, in the West Bank, in Rawabi, in Hebron, in Nablus. I was the first guy to open a design center and offices in Rawabi. I made sure that we have employees in Gaza. It was very important to me, and we had about 25 employees in Gaza. Extremely important to me to build. I've also donated 300 and raised $360,000 to build a department in a, in a field hospital in Gaza. They asked us, they asked me to raise 250. I gave $360,000 to build a cancer, a chemotherapy department for the Gazan hospital to help the Gazan people. And then I did another initiative for peace with some people that Palestinians that eventually did not continue because they were stopped by I think their government. But I think for the long term, we need to find the way to live next to each other in a peaceful manner with two states for the two people. If you remember in 73, we had Yom Kippur War. The worst enemy that my father was fighting was Egyptians. So in 73, we had an awful fight, an awful war with Egypt, and they took some of Sinai. And, and that in 77, four years later, we've done peace with our worst enemy at that time. My father thought that this is unbelievable that we can do peace with the enemy he fought. I hope that now, after this amazing crisis where a lot of people are being hurt, 
we will eventually be able to converge between the two people. I think the leaderships of both sides are should probably be replaced and find the right leadership to work together shoulder to shoulder and do what's the best thing for people. The Palestinians, I hope, after this operation will come to the conclusion that the best thing for them to strive for peace, which they've not done until now. And this is the main mission we have. Uh, before we let you go, just on a very personal level, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. My ex-wife, Dandru's mother, is doing less okay. You know, she she woke me up yesterday, said she dreamed about uh, Danielle with a wedding dress, which she will never <laughs> wear. But uh, I think she'll be okay. And uh, her brother and sister also uh, going through a very difficult process. I'm trying to keep myself busy talking to you guys and other people trying to do the right thing for Israel, also for the Palestinians and for the world. And that's what keeps me busy. I'd like to take the opportunity to thank President Biden was amazing in the meeting with us. He was very, very engaged. He knew exactly. He said, you don't need to be a Jew to be a Zionist. He said with his father, they talked about the Holocaust. He said, we were not there for you during the Holocaust. He said, you should keep the international rules of war. And I think Israel is doing that. And uh, he said, we should think of the day after what's going on. And I think he's completely right on spot. He did amazing things. We'd like to thank the U.S. president and the United States for putting the Navy here. I think the U.S. Navy here is not to help us fight Hamas or Jihad or Hezbollah. We can do this ourselves. The purpose of the U.S. Navy is to protect from having the third world war here, to protect the second and third lines of Yemen, Iran, and other entities that are farther away and prevent a possible small or larger scale third world war. And this is why we thank the United States, the president of the United States and the Navy. I know that our Air Force is coordinated with the Navy Air Force in terms of what are the missions and what are the things. And uh, I really thank the United States for all the help, also including helping us with trying to release the hostages, which is our number one priority now. Get back the hostages home. It's priority number one for us. Al, uh, we want to thank you this morning uh, for sharing your story. We want to wish you well. We want to wish your family well. And uh, we hope we have opportunity uh, to talk to you again uh, very soon. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I hope we'll be eventually successful to build peace between the two people. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks, as always, for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Follow Squawk Pod to get the very best of our show every day. We'll meet you right back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. got another day of NBA action. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every night a watch party only on FanDuel. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.